You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 414 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations, aviation's first class podcast. I, I, I don't know why I said that. I was told to. Hey, listen, th- there's always a reason. R- really? Is there an aviation angle? There's always an aviation Uh Last week saw United Airlines uh, CEO Scott Kirby as part of their order for the many, many uh, 787s and 737 MAX and declare once again that United is America's flag carrier. Ah. And it's not something America really has, but sure. Uh, they And also American Airlines, when they painted that thing vaguely resembling a flag on their tail, quoted, you know, explicitly said they were doing so so as to appear to be America's flag carrier. So, okay, fine. Delta did not take the bait. Delta is not fighting to become America's flag carrier, but, and we'll talk about this in our first topic this evening, or Mm -hmm. whenever you're listening to this, it's evening when we are (laughs) uh, talking about it, has indicated that all of its aircraft will have first-class seats by summer 2023, making it America's first-class airline. And so I decided we should be aviation's first-class podcast, as long as people are allowed to just make crap up like that. Why not? Yeah, I mean, if it's all, you know, all Boeing all the time, right? Well, I mean, unless you also have a bunch of Airbus and Embraers and Bombardiers. Exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Then yes, yeah, it works just fine that way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so a little puffery to kick off this week's episode. Uh, and I didn't want to limit us to just America because, you know, we, we cover international news sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, Amer- Delta is saying they're dumping all their 50 seaters, right? So all the CR2s are gone. Yes. Um, and to follow up on that, uh, this came in their investor day presentation last week. It turns out it wasn't explicitly that we don't want to have 50 seaters in our fleet. It was... Every plane we fly needs to have first class. So if you want to fly a 50-seater with first class on it and you're a regional carrier and want to talk to us about that, we're willing to at least have the conversation, which is super interesting because there's only one airline that flies 50-seaters with first class in them. That's SkyWest? Well, I mean, for United. It's yeah, uh, yeah. GoJet. GoJet, that's that's who it is, yeah. Uh, for United. So it's... Uh, and United owns the, like, cabin design... Mm-hmm copyright patent i don't know what they actually call it but like license like they own the license for the 550 basically and maybe things have changed but when i spoke with uh one of their executives about that when it was introduced god this was in september 2019 maybe november 2019 they did a media day thing yep uh their comment was yeah we're pretty happy having an exclusive on this right now no and so it's not uncommon for airlines to hold like a patent or an exclusivity on a uh, on a cabin layout, right? We had like the what did Air New Zealand call their sleeper coach sleeper thing? Yeah, yeah, the sleep uh, the couch sky, sky couch sky couch, right? And then there there's also like we've had like Singapore patented the flip down seat and license to other people, or vice versa, Virgin Atlantic mm-hmm. licensed it out, whatever. There have been a number of things like that over the years. So it's not entirely uncommon, but in this case, it seems like the the odds that United cuts a deal whereby a regional can fly that for Delta would be pretty low in my mind. Yeah, yeah. they they don't see enough. There's not enough payback for them to to offer it up. Yeah, like I mean, why would you? 
if you are Del- if you are United, why would you want to let Delta have this first class regional jet option? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and well, so here's the other thing, and we, we talked a little bit about this. I think the Delta has not quite a tentative agreement, but an agreement in principle with its pilots for a big raise. Uh, I believe it also adjusted regional jet scope clause. Yeah, in terms of how many regional, large regionals or small regionals were allowed. And so I don't know details of that, uh, but there is, again, like Delta probably needs some allowance from their uh, pilots to be able to add a bunch more planes like that. And at this point, it doesn't seem like, well, I don't know, maybe 50 seaters are okay, but not 70 seaters. That's right. That's why United has them is because they can add as many 50 seaters as they want, but only a limited number of 70 seaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also though, with the randomly thought came in mind with this huge order, if they grow the mainline fleet, can United start adding more 70 seaters? Isn't it's part of the agreement, right? Like it says if the, if the I don't remember if it was a hard cap or if it's a percentage of, um, yeah, I think I thought it was, a, I thought it was a percentage, but I could be yeah. wrong. So, um, I, so it's interesting, right? Like Delta has CR9s, CR7s, right? In their fleet. Yeah. Um, they could theoretically put more first class seats in them. I mean they, they already have first. So right. it's not like it's not like they can't, you know, the, the CR twos were the only plane with no F cabin. Had they probably um, gotten rid of one forty five finally? I think so. I don't yeah. I don't think I don't think yeah, I, I, I could look, but I believe that I would assume they did. Uh and then they have they still have seven one sevens, right? Yep. Seven seventeens, yeah. Um so I mean and those have F so I theoretically, yeah, they could take a CR seven and could they come up with some kind of cabin design that deals with weight and balance that's not United's? Probably, I think. Like a five sixty instead of a five fifty development. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe they have like a lounge area in front of the wing. I don't. Know. <laughs> a bar. <laughs> the a bar. Yeah, exactly. Fuzz. Onboard bar. I like it. Well, just put a shower. Put a shower in. Well, you just have to stand on your knees. <laughs> um. So it's it's. it's weird to me right we're kind of moving away from these smaller planes that help us serve or help airlines serve uh smaller markets yeah what what is what does delta do right like they serve a ton of markets especially in the midwest with cr2s or will that that's going to end so what happens to the schedule um that's a very good question and uh comes with some problems i'm pulling up some statistics now just randomly uh let's get rid of that uh in December 2019, Delta offered 200 departures from Gainesville, Florida. Um, wow. I happen to be particular to that. That's almost seven a day. Yeah. Um, this year, they're down to 134. 16, so a, qu- a third? Yeah. Wow. Um, but it's 15,000 seats this year and 13,000 seats in 2019. Mm-hmm. So they're up. 15% on total seats, 12%. I probably do yeah. relative yeah. compare. I, I can make the system do a relative comparison and tell me, but anyway, um, and it's interesting. My, my family still lives there. Um, my parents fly in and out of Gainesville a lot. They fly almost exclusively on Delta because, you know, my father's very loyal. Uh, he has his <laughs> million miler status. We, uh, Anyway, uh, we talk about mileage runs sometimes to keep status. He listens to the show every now and then. He has listened to the show before. Uh, I believe his comment was, what the hell were you guys doing? <laughs> um, maybe he'll listen to this episode and realize that he became a special guest and stopped knowing it. But we were talking the other day. He His 
flights the, the end of this year, they're going out west to see some family and then coming home right before New Year's. And they were forced to change their flight. The, there used to be a 9 p.m. flight from Atlanta to Gainesville mm-hmm. because it's Delta. Everything goes through Atlanta. And now there's not anymore. And instead, they put an A319 in as the 11 p.m. flight that gets in at, you know, 12.05 if it's on time. So they get home at 1 in the morning. Uh, they love it. They hate it, quite frankly, yeah. <laughs> uh, in yeah. reality. But that it's like that or 4 p.m., right? Then mm. the schedule thinned out because, and Delta's been doing this in a lot of places, but also adding back some markets like uh, Harlingen in Texas, Harlingen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Harlingen. Like someone jokingly said, what are they going to do? Like they get rid of the CR2s. How are they going to fly there? It turns out they're adding it back to their market, uh, to their route network where they had pulled it before. Apparently. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know. It's right. Like, again, you know, you, you mentioned this is how airlines fly to a lot of these small markets. They did a lot of these small markets and it was either for very small markets or to get frequency in slightly larger markets. And now they kind of, they got to sacrifice frequency. Yeah. Or in some cases, sacrifice markets, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, because we, we talked about it on a previous show where, you know, Alaska getting rid of the Q400s and how that yeah. changes, right? Like, so Alaska no longer serves Portland Bend, which I think I brought up with you guys. Um, and that's only served now by Boutique Air, um, which I didn't actually, I'd forgotten about. But there's markets like that where it's a small market. But there is a lot of connecting flow, and now those people have to go to Seattle, which arguably there's more flights out of Seattle uh, to connect to. But there's it's it's also it kind of sucks, right? Like if you're trying to just go uh, to maybe Eugene or you know Northern California, uh, going up to Seattle is out of the way and probably adds more time to your flight. So um, it's 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 weird that that this is all this is all happening and. I mean, I'm glad airlines are doing it. I hate the CR2. I think we all agree the CR2 was a terrible plane to fly on. Um, I, I would put up with it for an hour, uh, you, maybe a little bit more. Um, but that's that's about that was the max for me. I don't know, Foz, What were your thoughts? You you avoided them altogether, right? Yeah, avoid them like a plague. But this isn't the first time that we're seeing a shift like this, right? We we saw a shift like this in the '90s. In the late '90s, right, where a number of smaller towns lost a lot of service. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, and this is around when all the prop planes were going away. Yeah, so a lot of those markets eventually did come back. Uh, but it's, I mean, I, I've been long saying that we have too many frequencies and too many on too many of these routes, right? Like slot-controlled airports like LaGuardia, JFK, Newark, they should have minimum plane sizes. You should not be flying CR twos or uh, even CR sevens out of there. You you think it should be all mainline and that you're two frequencies a day and that's that's it to yeah to some of these small airports. I mean a lot of I think a lot of New Yorkers who don't want to be delayed would agree maybe, but then th- at the same time, they... it's, hang on, it's gonna not that's not gonna help delays. There's some, they'll just backfill the bigger planes. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, you have to see a slot reduction as well. Though, this is my point. You you want to see the to- you want to see the cap on the number of flights come down. Fox yeah. wants to see Laguardia shut down, so let's be careful what we give him. No, I, I, I would say... No, no, that's Tinderboro. <laughs> I thought he wanted both. No, I, I would say Newark as well, Newark and JFK as well. I wouldn't have, and even National, right? Some of these Wait, you, you want to shut them all down, or you just want to reduce the slots? Reduce the number of slots. <laughs> Sorry. Can we shut them all down? <laughs> is that no. an option? No, I mean, the reality is, 
you look at what a flight time, I, I take a route, look at the flight time, what it was 20 years ago, and what it is now from departure time to arrival time. They are substantially longer now than they were. Planes haven't gotten any slower. Yeah. yeah right. And, and, people, fair. and the reality is how they're, all the airlines are doing, they just pad the time knowing that you're going to waste an hour on the ground. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're number 56 for takeoff here at JFK. Behind another 48 CR2s. JFK's pretty good, I think. Yeah. Ish. Ish. So, I mean, this is this is a this is a kind of a bold move for Delta. Does does United follow? Right? Cuz they're the they, they have E145s and CR2s left and they've gotten rid of the CR2s on some routes. Right? They're not flying any regional jets without first class out of Newark. Uh do they have the uh the ability to to, to pull something like this off for the other airports? Um the smallest thing out of JFK is 75 E175s right now. Oh, really? American, American, American has some 175s, Delta has 75s, and Delta has CR9s. Uh, I, I I thought they were flying CR2s. I mean, I know for out of LaGuardia they were. Everybody was flying CR2s at some point. Yeah. Um, or E145s. Yeah. Uh, not, no CR2s out of LaGuardia either. Yeah. 550 is the smallest plane. Go United. No E145s. No even E145s no. even for American. Wow, that's a big change. Man. Yeah. United files... E-175 enhanced winglet in OAG, or in Syrian. Interesting. Um, yeah, United has Dulles 14 a day. Uh, no, not a day, I'm sorry. 14 for the month on the 550. United still approach to flying to Dulles is absurd. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I the planes have gotten bigger. I think people have realized, the airlines have realized the value of those slots is so much that they can't necessarily afford to run 50-seaters on them. Yeah, and for the most part, putting United's Dulles idiocy aside, um, but you know, I, I I get where you're coming from, Foz. I think at least with the new terminal, there'd be space for all the people at the gates, right? I mean, this was part of the problem was you had gates designed for 120 seat planes, they're putting 180 seat planes at them, so there and there was no space in the hallway. I mean, it, that was the crowding situation was terrible, but um, well, you know. To be fair, a quarter of the space was taken by uh, buckets for the buckets rain. Come to rain, yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I was trying to come up with a nice way to say that, but say, oh, you did it much better than me. Thank you, um, Stephen. You asked about United, um, and could they do something similar? And I, I think the answer is sort of maybe, but there's a sort of a roundabout way to get there, which is to say that American Airlines is uh, dumping Mesa. They mm. or Mesa dumped America. They've agreed. They've agreed to break up. Uh, so Mesa is pulling out its, uh, or American has pulled all of its flying on Mesa as of March. Uh, it'll backfill with PSA, Envoy, SkyWest, and the Air Wisconsin deal will start up faster than expected. But there's a rumor that some of Mesa's CR9s are going to go to United. That's a new, that's new. That'd be, That'd be a new type. Yeah. Um, but what I don't understand about that is that would then put them... We, this brings us back to why the 550 exists, which is United is capped on the number of yeah. large regional jets they can operate, and this would affect that number. So, but it could be a replacement for some of the older 170s. So you think they'd retire some 70 seaters in favor of these? Yeah, because the 170s, like think about it, they only have six seats up front. They're ancient, and yeah. they are pretty bad. With the number of cycles they've done, they are, a lot of them are probably at the end of their lifetimes. Yeah. Okay, I'll buy it. They do. They do a lot of those the E one seventies out of uh, Newark, right? 
in Chicago? They they have there. It's scattered, right? Yeah. Like Newark Pittsburgh is a great example. One or two flights might be on the one seventies, while the others are one seventy fives. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just don't see a lot of them like in Houston or San Francisco, really. Maybe maybe every now and then you'll see one in Houston, but it's it's rare. Yeah. Um, a lot of routes out of Newark, none currently published out of Houston. Yeah. A few out of Dallas. O'Hare gets a bunch of 170s. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, I've, I've flown on a few of them out of Chicago. They are definitely beat up, for sure. Um, So, so AA is dumping Mesa. They're gonna Are they going to backfill with anybody? Like, who else? Who do they have options with? You were so not listening, were you? No. <laughs> <laughs> he talked about that. He did? He did. Oh, man, I'm losing my mind. Is it, is it, it's, I'm guessing it's PSA, Envoy, et cetera? Yeah. Sky West and Air Wisconsin. Yeah. Air Whiskey. Everybody loves Air Whiskey. Um, the other thing about this, though, is sort of interesting is like how much of this could be tied to uh, the new pilot salary contracts and, you know, did, you know, did, okay, we have to pay our pilots a lot. Uh, never mind. Like, we're going out of business. Mm. So is Mesa going out of business or is there, well, not yet, but there's a decent amount of speculation that the finances are a disaster. So, hmm. wow. Hopefully not, but we'll see. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. We're watching kind of a slow mo implosion of the regional carriers, right? Like it's it's happening, but it's happening kind of like months or years apart. Yeah, from each other. Uh, so, uh, wow. tell me about tell me about boom. Another thing falling apart. They go boom. How, wait, how could they fall apart if they were never really together? Oh, that's touche. Well played, sir. Um, they finally made their announcement of how they're going to develop an engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is interesting. I think it's the polite way to phrase it. They are going to have a consortium of partners. Everything they've done has always been a consortium of partners. They're very good at getting the right publicity that way. Um, boom is going to lead the design process they partnered with uh ftt florida turbine technologies which is a division of kratos which is a like defense contractor-ish kind of company oh perfect um ftt mostly these days develops cruise missile engines which are subsonic uh they're going to develop a thirty-five thousand foot pound thrust medium bypass turbofan engine that will somehow also support the supersonic needs. Um, it's going to have nifty dynamic intake something and be like passively cooled instead of requiring uh, active cooling systems for the super hot uh, core. All of which is to say, when I spoke with uh, Blake Scholl four years ago, four and a half years ago now about what they're going to do for an engine. He's like, ah, it's going to be easy. We're going to take an existing, we're going to tweak it a little bit. It'll be no big deal. We're definitely not going to do military because that's, you know, complicated and da 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 da. Oh, by the way, the ev- the sub- reason they justified hiring Kratos and FTT is that they have some people on the team there that helped in the design of the engines for the F-22 and F-35 military. So he's basically gone back on everything that it was true four and a half years ago, to be fair, didn't have much of a choice because none of the engine suppliers, the two commercial engines, wanted to work with them. Yeah. So I gotta ask, have these guys not been paying attention to what's happened in the engine world in the last 15, 20 years? With taking existing models and trying to push the limits on them and how that works out for everyone? 
I don't know that they're paying much of attention. I don't know what they've been paying attention to. Let me say that. I'm sure they're paying attention to something. I just don't know what. It makes it makes me wonder, like, are they let's even say they took some existing technology, right? They think they could take a fighter engine. But like like the F twenty twos can can cruise supersonic without using afterburner. That's okay. one of the capabilities of the engine. But it's a Pratt and Whitney engine. It uses two of them. Um they would have to basically take out some of the military capabilities, so the afterburner right. capabilities and everything, whatever. But couldn't they do that? Is Pratt and Whitney just not willing to play ball? Part of it is Pratt doesn't want to, but part of it, I think, also is to do that requires, among other things, like, yes, you have to take out the government stuff, but the government sort of has to let you. Yeah. Right? Like, remember, like the Air Force paid for that development. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, the Air Force gets to decide if they're going to let there be a non-military version, and I would imagine that's pretty complicated right there. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and you say that they have somebody that's that worked on the F twenty two engines. Like, there's only so much that he can contribute. He or she can contribute without right breaking the NDA or whatever. So right, yeah, no, I, the whole thing is just, and also like, yeah, we've started designing, so we're definitely going to have an engine uh, ready to fly in twenty twenty, roll out in twenty six, fly in twenty seven, certified total aircraft still certified and delivered to commercial customers by twenty nine. Yeah. And there's just no way. Like, I'm trying to remember the last full engine program that was developed in four years, and I don't think it exists. Like, yeah. So like modern modern jet turbines. And what's it going to cost? You know, like, well, also, right? Like, who's going to pay for it? Yeah, you you've got all this new engine development, and and now you got to sell it. And at what kind of price tag? Will, well, and so that's the other thing is right. Like, the assumption I will say, and was always that they. Boom wanted partners of the major companies because they figured those guys would foot the bill and are the bulk of the bill and Boom would get to, you know, chip in a little and help drive it. But, you know, hey, we're going to sell all these planes and you, don't worry, you'll get plenty of sales because, you know, four engines per plane, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Boom is now saying, oh, no, no, no. We never expected the engine manufacturers to fund it. We always had it in our budget to fund the planes, uh, fund the engine development too. And... They've also said that they think it's a six... They thought in like 2015 or 2018 or something like that, the total program cost to get a certified plane out the door was $6 billion, six to eight. And there's no way you can hit that number with also, also having to develop a full engine. Have they have they ever talked to a military contractor or like seen but any of these military contracts or even, even like the 787? Like, have they talked to anybody at Boeing to be like, how much did it cost? Like at the end of the day... And it's pretty public. The data's pretty public. Exactly. So Go look at the number of write-offs they've had in their quarterly earnings call. Exactly. Right? Like, it's... Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, American Airlines uh, Advantage program changes. Should I be excited or no? That, it, when has a change been good for you? How much do you hate yourself? I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Ne- never. Um, the only thing that I think is vaguely almost mildly interesting and valuable is much like JetBlue, they've now added a things you like you can get stuff before you hit status mm-hmm. um to keep you engaged. What you get is, if I remember correctly, group five boarding for your whole year or group four boarding for a single flight. For you what? I believe was the thing on offer as like the this is your benefit for getting 
10,000 points, 12,000, whatever the number was. It was a stupid number of points and it was a stupid benefit. So, um, you know, they're, they're doing weird uh, gamification. Yeah. Um, to try to see if I can pull it up here. Uh, I, I will say AA's new program is very freaking complicated. Yes. The, I mean, they sent me a, because of my high status, they sent me a status challenge and it took me like a good two hours to figure out what I would actually need to do to earn the points for said challenge. You got to wait till the first full moon of, you know, December. Hop on one leg. Yeah. Hop on one leg while, while touching your nose uh, and, and reciting, you know, uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. It's crazy. I think I found the page here. Okay. So the 15,000 point, 15,000 loyalty point reward level group five boarding for your membership year or group, Priority privilege and group four boarding for a trip, uh, or five preferred seat coupons. It's like, I, I yeah. Uh, at forty thousand, you get gold, which gives you priority privileges and group four boarding plus upgrades at the twenty-four hour window. Main cabin extra, complimentary. Is main cabin extra for gold still at check-in, or you get it? Uh, I, I think it's check-in. Yeah, there's a sixty thousand reward. Uh, points reward level now that gets you Avis preferred plus status. Okay. So like a sharp uh, stick in the eye? I mean, that's pretty uh, preferred is. Platinum at 75,000, which gets you priority group three boarding. Um, you get companion upgrades, the 48-hour window, uh, Sapphire status, yada yada. The 100,000 point level gets you Avis President's Club status and a yeah, I mean, Platinum Pro gets you group two boarding. And Executive Platinum gets you Group 1 boarding. It's like, it really is stupidly complicated. Um, at 175, you get two system-wide upgrades or 20,000 bonus miles or six Admiral's Club passes, a $200 trip credit. It like, you... I'm sorry, you said Admiral's Club passes and I heard Adderall Club passes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what tomatoes you need, to, need some Adderall to focus on what, what benefits are. Uh, this... I also love that there's a 5 million point reward level that gets you another 10 system-wide upgrades that you probably won't be able to use. 5 million. And you're getting... F and up to 500,000 miles back on award redemptions. And you can gift someone executive platinum. If you're spending 5 million... Basically, you I mean, what are you buying at that point on, like, co-branded credit cards? Yeah. Just go buy a private jet at that point. What... So what's the, have the points changed at all or like how you earn these? Like, can you, you can earn American status without actually flying American, right? Yes, but you don't like, for, I thought with EXP, you don't get this food. Okay. So you actually have to like be on their metal for some set. I mean, there's, there's some yeah. minimum number of flies. Are... Apparently Platinum Pro is getting badly devalued, which is a weird choice. I don't know. There's, it's stupidly complicated. There's, for some people, it seems like it's really nice, but I, just can't be bothered to learn it anymore. Advantage was never a big program for me anyways. I know there's some people who love it. Um, I just can't. And the whole, like, we're going to make it simpler, we're going to make it easy, all the points count, like, cool, but... This isn't some... Yeah, like, I can't wait for the announcement of, like, now boarding those passengers with elite status of this type, passengers with this elite status, but, like... Each different tier has a different boarding group. If if you had elite status in 2020, you can... Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it's already bad enough, like, when you, like, watch just, like, regular boarding today with 
United, American, etc. You're just like, yeah. okay, this is painful. 18 groups. It's just going to be, it's just going to be worse. It's, uh, yeah, anyway, crazy. Um, we had a question from a listener, uh, Connor. Uh, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll read the question out. He says, I have a question. Uh, at what dollar amount do you consider small claims court for flight delays or cancellations? I've had a case with uh, Air Canada in the summer when their ops were a total mess. Uh, my flight was delayed and then canceled. The final rebooking was around three days later. That was Montreal to Detroit. Um, and then he booked Delta on his own long before that, uh, the flight that they had rebooked him on. Department. The contract of carriage and Canadian law very explicitly makes me eligible for lodging refund compensation. They offer me a $300 Canadian voucher. Uh, me being a party of one, I'm sure this isn't worth it uh, to file, but I, he, he's being spiteful. You know, my answer to that is depends on how bored you are and if you want to go downtown. Yeah. Um, he'll almost certainly win. Yeah, uh, I agree. And there's a, well, the only thing I'm not sure of is if they would be, if you'd be able to show, uh, establish that it was the right venue. But either way, someone from Air Canada has to show up to fight it. And I don't know if Air, right? Like, it, is he, he'll file in Detroit or thereabouts. Like, you got to find the, you know, they're, Air Canada has to have a registered agent and whatever, and you file against, you send the notice to that agent and they get the copy of the case and they decide how they're going to deal with it. Um, but the only question is because it was originated in, in Canada, you know, can you sue in the U S under Canadian law? Not really. So yeah. then it becomes a question of what do you, what are you going to get? Um, Look, where do you slots? <laughs> 767. But I filed against the British Air. Or no, not British Airways. Yeah, British Airways way back in the day. I was hoping to even have the 747. So, you know. <laughs> I claim this is mine. Yeah. I mean, I think he has. Okay, sir, please pay the parking fees at JFK until you can get out of here. <laughs> uh, never mind. No take backs. No good backs. Uh, yeah, that was my plan. I, I think he has a decent chance. I don't. It's It just. It, couldn't he file. Doesn't Canada. Do they not have small claims court? I think you probably have to be present usually to do it is the problem. Oh, I got you. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, again, probably, especially the contract of carriage could be enforced in the United States. I'd certainly say a DOT complaint. Mm -hmm. um, maybe even the sort of, it's a pain in the ass, but there's like the, you can file it in the a docket. Like there's a way to file a sort of formal complaint as opposed to just the uh, I'm mad section on yeah. the DOT website. There's like a, it gets published, like your details get out there. I read them all and laugh at some of them and share some of them on Twitter sometimes. But, um, that forces the airline to respond at least or run afoul of DOT rules, like DOT regulations and Air Canada, like airlines that don't respond to the DOT get in trouble and don't get to fly anymore. So, um, that might be a better first step than small claims court. But, uh, you know, I, I've done it before. I was living in New York City where it was easy. I was bored. <laughs> don't don't let Seth end up bored. That's that's, uh, that's just, just life lessons. Yeah, the lesson. Yeah. British Airways, but you know, bad news was because the British Airways has an office there. They and they have counsel there. They actually they have a big office in New York. They sent someone to meet me at the courthouse and like talk it out. We settled it, but uh, it's pretty funny. Wow, no seven forty seven. No, I got a voucher instead. For for a seven forty seven. <laughs> I'm sure he, he, he could trade that in for a 747 now. Yeah, strangely, the black updates, Stephen. I could never get them to give me the plane. Yeah, yeah, just exactly. Weird. Never had availability. Uh, they gave me uh, a dollar voucher. Was, it, I used it. I mean, it was vaguely funny. But let's let's uh, let's quickly talk about Air India. 
So there was a big plane purchase by them, right? You guys talked uh, about United. Rumored. I don't think it's fine. It's not announced yet. Oh, it's not yeah. finalized yet. But up to 500 planes? I mean, so they can just sit out and rot? Like That's like, usually what they do with them, right? That's that's what I'm thinking. Like, are they just buying 787s because the 787s they have are just that badly disused? Well, they pulled all the parts from them. Yeah, yeah, they're all sitting on blocks. Oh man, that's it's crazy to me too. It's 500 though. This is the number that's rumored. Yeah, total planes narrow and wide and yada yada. Wow, Airbus or Boeing? Both. Or no one knows. Oh, really? Mix. Mix. Um, I think the fun bit here is that you know how just how deep are Tata's pockets yeah 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 deep enough I guess yeah um and then uh, the first uh, Comac C919 delivery happened this is the Chinese airplane right yeah the single aisle mainline sort of competitor to the A320 eventually in some 37 who took it China Eastern China Eastern has it started flying, or do you know, do you, like, when when will it start flying? I do not know. Kind of cool. Uh, and then lastly, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to talk about it. I'll talk about it if you, you want me to. Um, on my return from Bangalore and kind of like, like just the, the experience. I like good trip reports. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we we joked on Twitter about trip reports and, you know, whether or not they're worth doing. I th- I think overall, uh, it was a good trip back. It's uh, I went Bangalore to Tokyo, Tokyo to Seattle, and Seattle home. It just I had an option of I, I think I talked about it on here. I had the option of going through Amsterdam. Uh, ended up going with Jal. Um, good experience. Flight to Tokyo leaves at like two in the morning out of Bangalore. It's a little rough because everything leaves at two in the morning out of Bangalore. Um, so I was lucky enough to get there right when they like opened the doors for that bank of flights and, and got through security really quickly and stuff. Immigration was really fast. Um, didn't even visit the lounge there. It didn't look very appealing to me. Um, I just kind of, I kind of walked the terminal and like checked out all the flights that were leaving. Uh, uh, Ethiopian has an, a flight to Addis. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I watched the Amsterdam flight leave and, and there was a few others. So interesting departures at that time. So I just had fun walking the walk, walking the terminal. Um, and it's actually a really nice airport. They're opening a new terminal, but the, the this one was fine. I, it was really, actually really nice. Um, got some coffee and stuff. And I decided to stay awake on the Tokyo flight because it was about seven hours. Wanted to be on U.S. time. Mm. So stayed awake most of it. Uh, landed at like 10. And I'd, I fell asleep the, like the last hour. Uh, and then I had to be in Tokyo for four hours before the flight left. Uh, did I land at 10? No, I landed at... I had to land in the middle of the afternoon. So yeah, if you like, took off at two AM and it's a seven hour flight, that's nine AM in Bangalore, figures the four hour time zone change. Like, yeah, it was like one or two in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Five, eight, yeah. Nine, 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 nine. yeah. Uh Tokyo was weird. Um so Narita's open, but kinda not. Like we landed at the we parked at the remote pier for JAL and it was there was like one store open and everything it was empty. Uh kind of creepy a little bit. Um I think other people were just as confused as me because I went through the transit security and stuff and went back upstairs and I that's where I saw it was empty um and then and then going to the main terminal was a little more busy but the lounge was empty and everything had some good sushi uh the sushi place that we usually go was still closed um so that's a bummer yeah I don't I don't know there was an udon place down the hall from it so maybe it's just like they're waiting to see how they, they do um 
but yeah, it was good. And then uh, flew Jow overnight. I slept the entire, pretty much the entire flight. Didn't eat really anything on the flight from Tokyo to Seattle. Then was home and stayed awake. Yeah. No real jet lag. So That's too bad you didn't get to eat on the place. The food out of Tokyo was amazing. Typically, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of thinking about it, but I was like, I really should just because it's it's yeah. a it's a very short flight uh, from Tokyo to Seattle. It's think it's blocked at like eight and a half hours but in reality it's really like seven and a half um so if i had eaten it would have been you know i probably would have gotten five hours of sleep yeah i mean that's almost as bad as me flying to europe from here yeah exactly so i i just i slept i slept really well jail seat i don't like it's the sky suite the one where it's like offset uh it's uh like everyone has aisle access but you kind of like sit right next to the person that you're like like you don't have to crawl over them but you're like they're, you're in their business until you put the divider up, and I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the seat. It doesn't have a ton of storage on the window side, um, but yeah, and and a lack of restrooms in business. Only two restrooms, I think. None of the seat maps on Seat Guru are accurate for JAL 787s. So most of Seat Guru isn't accurate these days. They basically yeah. killed it. I mean, it's yeah. got SEO and they keep it alive, but TripAdvisor hasn't done anything with it in a long, long time. Yeah, so it's I'd like take everything you see there with a grain of salt. Coach doesn't look bad on Jell because they still have the two four two setup in uh, Coach on the seven eighty sevens. Really so, for long haul? Yeah, for long haul. So it's actually not a bad option if you're going across uh, the Pacific. Uh, want want uh, yeah. only one person next to you, or you're in a couple or something. So um, look, it looked comfortable. Or just you know, a reasonably wide, comfortable seat. Yeah, exactly. So um, all in all, it was good. I you know service out of Bangalore on Jell was pretty limited. I think because of the time, like they think everybody's going to sleep. Um, so I, I had like canapes, I guess. And then I had a meal before we arrived. Uh, it was fine. Nothing, nothing yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah, Jow, Jow is a carrier, very friendly, little robotic, less robotic than Singapore. Part of it's the Japanese culture thing. Um, just being very like, not submissive, but very like wanting to help. Yeah. Very formal. Uh, and there was a bunch of Japanese businessmen on the plane. And so there was a lot of bowing. And I don't really know what to do with that situation. So I was just like, can I, can I scoop by you? Can I cough play? Like, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to bow. So I limbo under the bowing. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it was good. And let's talk about Seattle immigration. So I went through Seattle immigration uh, at a time when there was not a lot of other flights, maybe one or two coming in. The new facility is very confusing. It is not marked well. They could have done a lot better. Uh, rule number one: When you come over the bridge, it's quicker to take the es- the elevator than it is to take the escalator up. There's so a lot of places that are like that. They just take the elevator, go up top, and then take the elevator down. It's yeah, much faster. Heathrow. Uh, yes, exactly. Same as Heathrow. It's like the like exact same. T five at Heathrow. If you got to get downstairs, it, my my trick to that is like, where are the flight attendants going? All mm-hmm. like so many of them use the elevator. So I'm like, they they know why. Like they know what's up. I followed them. Yep, yep. They've been doing this for longer than me. So yeah. Uh, and then when you get to uh, the the place where you're supposed to, there's like a, a landing uh, before you enter the Great Hall or whatever, uh, and there's global entry kiosks to the right, and you want to hit those first. Don't go down because there's no global ki- global entry kiosk downstairs. Um, they face the sun in the morning, so you can the, the camera can't take a picture, and again a good picture, and then you collect then you collect your bags. You got you check bags. I don't like this system. They they say it's better. It's weird to me. Uh, and then you go through, there's a global entry line to the far left of all the lines. Again, not well marked. It was very confusing to me. 
you ha I still had to present my passport, no printout from the global entry kiosk, and and I still got to ask questions. I don't know the point. Like, what what's the point of this? Um, it's, it doesn't seem like it's. I would be better off just going to an agent at that point, like or you know a, a, a border security person at that point. Um, and then you, I would recommend if you're connecting in Seattle, exit like you're leaving, and then come back in. Don't do transit security. No, it's it's a mess. Uh, it's like four lanes. So if you come in on a big jet, it's going to be. Um, it's like the old Dallas. Yeah, it's terrible. Like it's it was just like I mean it took me there were five people in front of me, and it took me probably thirty minutes to go through security. Um, had I known this, I would have I would have exited. I didn't know. I thought, oh, it's you know like anywhere else where they kind of dump you back into the main hall. Nope, they don't do that. So would not recommend. It's kind of like Houston, but you can't tell how bad the security is before you get there. You know, in Houston, you used to be able to like look and kind of like see up the escalators to see how bad the line was. And if you if it looked bad, you could just exit to E and then come back upstairs and use pre-check or whatever. Um, you just don't have that option here. So anyway, that's my that's my recommendations. Don't, didn't it, it's not a terrible immigration system. It's just I feel like they made the walk from the terminal, like where you get off the plane to the immigration area so long that, yeah, of course, there's no lines like it's taken everybody three days to get where they're going. <laughs> like it's I could have walked from Japan. That's how long of a walk it is. So, anyways, good for you, Stephen. Yeah, stretch, yeah, stretch your legs after a flight. Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I could have done that by walking from where they, because then they put you in A. It the transit security puts you in A, and I had to go to D on the other side of the airport or in at that point. So, yeah. Anyway, where is the new customs? So it is on the far south side of the airport. There's a new building. And they're putting you in A? Yeah, that's that's the isn't that the, the gate there? Isn't A on the north side? I don't think so. C's on the north side. Yeah, you're you're flipped. I think it used to be flipped, but I it's yeah, hang on. Let me look. I'm looking right now. It is uh, let's see. Yeah, A is the south side gate. So it spits you out on the far bottom of the terminal. Um and then I, I took the train, you know, and then another train, you know, whatever. Not a huge fan of Seattle, can you tell? I'm um, a huge fan of Seattle, so. Anyway, all right, we'll say we'll say uh, thanks to our new Patreon subscribers, Jeremiah. Thanks for joining. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks to our listeners for for supporting the show. And, uh, and if you're a Patreon subscriber, you're going to stick around for some bonus topics. We're going to talk about Virgin Australia and, and slot controls, uh, Foz's favorite subject, and some A321 craziness so stick around for that if you're a patreon subscriber but uh, until next time happy travels bye bye I was waiting for Foss to say goodbye he didn't <laughs> we really should practice that more whoops I, I was just thinking that Stephen hadn't talked about his cancellation debacle oh no I'm not going to talk about it. I'll talk about that in the bonus <laughs> <laughs>